goodness, it's certainly on. <laughs> uh, my name is Marcia, and this is Pat, my co-teacher. <laughs> uh, I know that uh, our wonderful staff here at IMS has already welcomed you probably in many different ways, and you've been welcomed from uh, many different people already. And now I and Pat would like to really warmly welcome you to this retreat. It's a great joy to be here with you. And uh, it's an honor, really, to be able to spend these next five days with you in a way that's quite unique uh, and quite special in our culture. And so I'd like to start uh, together this evening just sitting quietly for a couple of moments because I know it's been uh, these opening days uh, here at IMS are busy to begin with. So I'd like you to just sit quietly for a couple of moments and let yourself really arrive a little bit at least, settle in, relax, and gently gathering the attention in. And an easy way to facilitate this is by connecting and receiving the breath sensations just in a general way right now. As we enter into retreat, each one of us alone and all of us together, we're creating or we could say we're co-creating a temporary village, a temporary spiritual practice community. We come together, as one of my Burmese teachers says, as a Dhamma family or a Dharma family. As we begin this period of commitment to exploring, cultivating, and deepening our inner life. Over these next days, we'll be expanding and deepening our capacity for a focused concentrated attention, which will include a growing understanding 
and the development directly out of our practice of the conditions that are necessary for the blossoming of clear insight into the nature of things. I think for many, many people, there's a tremendous amount of time and energy spent, or maybe more accurately, expended, cultivating an outer life, doing things and producing things, acquiring things, going places, being somebody, being something. These next five days will be a quite special and, as I said, unique in that none of this is really important or will be asked of you in the ordinary ways of the seeming requirements and expectations of the world. Whether you've engaged in this particular way of practicing previously, or if this approach to concentration practice is brand new for you, you may already be beginning to experience something that arises for many of us at the onset of a retreat. The sense of entering into sacred space and time. The sense of entering into a kind of sanctuary, both within our surroundings and also within ourselves. And for me, whether I'm entering into the teaching mode or beginning a period of intensive personal practice, there's always this feeling in my heart of stepping into sacred space, both inwardly and in relationship to my surroundings. It's a beautiful and precious footstep that we're taking together. Here at IMS, the very obvious beauty and sacredness of all of the life surrounding us, and also the incredible diversity and natural rhythms of life happening here. Changes in the light, for instance. Dark to light, and again darkness, and then again to light. The weather. Winter here in Massachusetts, with its myriad manifestations and changes. All of the forms of life, the community of beings that we share this place with, many birds, other creatures, the abundant trees and other manifestations of plant life, and the air itself. The natural world so close around us, so very easily available to connect with. And it's a great gift that we're not separate from, a gift that holds us in itself. This natural world is a very fine teacher for us of the sacredness and the perfectly natural fluidity and diversity 
and change that just simply is. It's a mirror of the truth of ourself, our nature as nature. And we might consider that um, nature is no problem to itself. It's no problem to itself in itself. So we can learn from this mirror of naturalness, the just-isness, the just-beingness, the absolute open-hearted presence, we could say, of this perfectly natural world. An aspect of our human experience for many of us includes a natural and often easy open-hearted connection in moments of simple, clear presence. When we take the time to really, truly arrive and be, to just simply be. So for instance, with maybe this afternoon, the, the late afternoon light, or maybe tomorrow, an early morning sunrise, the changing sky colors at the close of a day, or open-heartedly seeing the particulars of how this winter season is just simply displaying itself in small and in larger ways. And of course, along with any of this, moments of silence, Silent, simple, clear presence in your body, in your heart and mind, any time of the day, any time of the night. One day in the 92nd year of her life, my mother stopped for a few moments during our daily out-of-doors walk, and she stooped over, looking quite long and silently at a flower that was very full in its blooming, very full in its liveliness. And after a couple of moments, just simply said with great reverence, it's great to be alive. I'm sure for probably each of us, there has come some unexpected, unsuspected, and maybe even exceptional moments during times of simple, clear, unfettered attention. Moments of what we could call spiritual attention. And for many of us, the natural world is often the place where this happens for most of us most easily, at least at first. As the days of this retreat unfold, you'll be learning how to develop, purify, and focus this simple, clear, unfettered attention. One of the really wonderful things about being here at IMS is that there's quite a degree of accumulated energy. All of the people that have come here to learn and to practice, 
all of those who have come here to do their inner work, to explore the nature of things, all of the teachings that have been offered here and all of the teachers that have offered them. It's a gift of symbiotic and ever-expanding energy that we're partaking of and that we're adding to. So how really very fortunate for all of us that we're here. During these retreat days, we have the great gift of being taken care of in a beautiful and simple way. All of our basic needs are taken care of. And while you're here, life is pared down. It's simplified from your usual daily life activities, the demands of daily life, and the seeming needs. There's really not much to do over these next five days. Sitting, walking, eating, hearing, spending a bit of time each day with your yogi job, sleeping, and really most importantly, relaxing and diligently learning to cultivate a clear and mindful focus of attention. So compared to the ways of the world, there's really not much to do over these next days, which is actually a very good thing to remember. Because some of you may have such a strong habit of keeping busy that you may go on creating all sorts of things to do while you're here, just simply out of habit. I think that it's fair to say that sometimes our mind is kind of like a junkyard, meaning that there's sometimes an awful lot of rubbish, we could say, that we put into our mind. Various conversations and magazine reading and all sorts of stuff that uh, comes from the computer online. And, needless to say, myriad entertainments that we engage in. We just really kind of pour it all in. Someone once said to me that, she said there's a veritable jam session going on in her mind most of the time. And the problem with all of this is, is that it makes us quite tired. And then there's the worldly work that you do, both to make a living and your volunteer work. And for some of you, the work of going to school. Much of this, or at least some of it, may be compassionate and creative work. But if we don't take time to replenish, we can give out, no matter how good and no matter how fulfilling our work is. 
the more usual ways of replenishing and rejuvenating and resting are maybe watching television or watching something on our computer or going out somewhere. And these really aren't really truly rejuvenating. They don't give us a real rest. In fact, even sleep doesn't really give the mind a true rest. For genuine and deep relaxation and rejuvenation, we need to give our mind and heart some inner space. Clear out the junkyard. Quiet the inner noise. And the way to do this is to keep the mind, keep the attention purely in the moment in a simple way. This is really the best rest for the heart and mind. The mind and body relaxed, alert, and focused. And with even just a few moments of this, one feels refreshed, clear-minded, and wakeful. And so we begin our retreat learning and practicing towards keeping the mind focused in the moment, with the attention purely and simply on the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath in the area of the nostrils. A wonderfully simple, though not always so easy, approach to training the mind to be and to stay in the moment. In light of this, one of the things that we're practicing here in retreat is renunciation. Meaning, in this case, letting go of busyness and letting go of the usual distractions that you engage in to try to relax out of all of the busyness. And what a gift this renunciation is. Really simplifying your life and, as I've already mentioned, just simply being. Not becoming anything or anybody. And not filling up the mind with more stuff. But rather just simply being. And directly connecting with your experience of the simple sensations of the breath, just as it is in the moment. And so we begin together in this sanctuary, this place of safety and protection, this place that holds and engenders deep respect and acceptance. What an incredibly valuable gift you've given yourself and a valuable gift that you give to each other simply by being here and practicing with each other in this extended Dharma family.
I think for just about everyone, there are various mental and physical states that come up at the onset of a retreat. Maybe excitement, maybe a bit of nervousness, maybe some worry, anxiety, maybe some or maybe lots of expectation, delight, maybe relief, ah, I'm finally here. Lots of energy moving through one's body and mind and heart. Even for people who have sat many retreats. Because, in fact, each retreat is unpredictable in the unique ways that it will unfold. For myself, in beginning, in teaching or in beginning a personal retreat, many of these same flavors of energy move through my mind and my body and my heart. It's just simply how our human nature works as we enter into something new. It's just simply a natural part of the process. And how very fortunate we are that we're embodied as we are in human form, this precious human existence, making it possible for us to practice, making it possible to be able to look within and to cultivate a pure, concentrated and balanced mind and heart rooted in kindness, compassion and wisdom. We're actually a small minority on this earth, in this universe, and who knows beyond. So think about it for a moment. There are more than 11 million species living on this planet. Consider just insects. A friend of mine in Taos, New Mexico, where I live, who owns and runs a plant nursery, she told me that there are 200 million bugs, as she put it, per human on the planet. 200 million bugs per each one of us. So how fortunate to be embodied in the way that we are. This human heart, mind, and body are really the most conducive towards developing the purity of a concentrated mind rooted in kindness and compassion, joy, equanimity, and the great gift of wisdom. Because of the particular mixture that each one of us has of both pleasure and pain. There's just enough of each, actually. And as we all know, sometimes a little bit more of one or a little bit more of the other, and sometimes maybe big handfuls of one and seemingly 
not much, if any, of the other. But the truth is that it changes back and forth within a week, daily, and even within moments. So really this human realm offers us the best conditions that we could ask for. This is the place, this rare and precious human realm that we fortunately find ourselves in. It's said that if all the world were water and a wooden ring one foot in diameter was thrown upon the water and blown about by the winds, it's said that a blind turtle surfacing once every hundred years would put its neck through this wooden ring more easily than one can obtain a precious human existence. We're really a rare species within the enormous breadth of the life forms on this planet. The ancient texts tell us that those who have a precious human existence with all of the conditions, the opportunities, and the blessings in place to meet the Dharma and to practice the Dharma, to practice the purification of the mind and the heart, to practice the way of truth and wisdom, that these beings are as rare as daytime stars. So, here we all are, with all of the conditions and blessings in place, and a wonderful five days of opportunity ahead of us, a time of cultivation and discovery, a time of exploration, purification, surprise, and understanding which some of the time might not be so easy and may even be quite challenging at times. But all the while, your time here very much includes the real potential of bringing forth experiences of deep relaxation, calm, tranquility, joy, happiness, equanimity, and illumination. As we enter into this period of sustained spiritual practice, there are a few specific supports that are readily available for you. So now I'd like to take a brief look at the first of these with you. And then Pat will explore the rest of them with you. Your first support is the wonderful gift of silence. This silence that very gently holds us in itself. Silence is really quite amazing in certain ways. It doesn't expect anything. It doesn't judge. Silence is 
infinitely patient, boundlessly spacious, open, allowing, and accepting. This container of silence that has no boundaries and that everything comes out of and returns to. And of course, within the silence, there are sounds, all kinds of sounds that arise and pass. At times you'll hear the sound of my voice and the sound of Pat's voice, and occasionally other voices as well. In our small group meeting, practice meetings we're going to have, you'll hear other voices. And maybe at other times you'll hear other voices. You may hear some sighs, maybe cries, maybe laughs. Certainly we'll be hearing coughs and sneezes and moving bodies. Because of the construction going on uh, here at IMS, we'll occasionally hear hammering sounds and maybe sawing sounds. There'll be bell and bird sounds, maybe barking dog sounds, and the sounds of wind, the sounds of weather. All kinds of sounds arising and passing in the midst of silence. And sometimes we interpret sound as noise. And I think it's important to note that this is an interpretation and to notice it. Is this or that sound noise? What happens if it's noise? Are you relaxed? Is your heart open to simply hearing, receiving the sound? Or is there a contraction, some form of aversion, resistance, the irritation of feeling disturbed? If it's just a sound being heard, our relationship to it is basically one of relaxed acceptance, just simply and directly hearing, which may be accompanied by a simple pleasant or unpleasant or maybe neutral feeling tone. Of course, we're not always in this relationship to sound. So with an open heart and an open mind, just mindfully notice your response or your reaction to sound and noticing it without judgment in the midst of silence. Sometimes within the silence of a retreat, it feels as though all of the windows of the world, all the windows of the universe, of life, have been thrown wide open within us. And when this is our experience, there can be a sense of freshness and beauty, an inner sense of open-hearted receptivity, stillness, and fresh clarity 
having been let in. Many people find this support of silence in retreat to be one of the most precious aspects of retreat time because it holds everything but doesn't hold on to anything. Everything just simply and naturally comes and goes in the spacious, patient acceptance of silence. The key here is that you don't have to be anybody. You really don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to present yourself. You don't have to be a somebody or become a somebody. As I've already mentioned, you just simply be. And it's a great relief, actually, to just simply be. Silence is where we learn to sense, see, and really, truly know our experience. In this respectful, supportive, and beautiful container of silence lies the possibility for the boundless blossoming of our practice. So our first support, silence. And I always like to take time to explore it at the onset of a retreat because there's really so much more to it than just not talking. I'll close my portion now uh, of this evening's talk with a poem. It's called Keeping Quiet. And it's by the Chilean poet Pablo Neruda. Now we will count to twelve, and we will all keep still for once on the face of the earth. Let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare dark wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers and sisters in the shade, doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us, as when everything seems dead in winter and later proves to be alive. Now I'll count up to twelve, and you keep quiet, and I will go.
And so now it's time to turn the evening's talk over to Pat. Let's uh, stand up for a minute, stretch the bodies in whichever way feels right for you, just for a minute. Okay, you must be still awake. It's hard to stand up and sleep at the same time. I want to extend uh, my welcome to you all. Uh, IMS is I would consider IMS my spiritual home. I first became serious about meditation in the late 70s in some of the early courses here. So uh, I feel honored to be here. And I feel honored to be with you all. You had other choices. You could be somewhere warm with Club Med or something like this. And whatever your inner guidance was that brought you here, I find fascinating. You know, and looking at all the faces as you were arriving, and I'd go back and forth through the dining hall, uh, I just wondered, who are these people that are interested in this? I mean, I don't even know most of you, but I find you fascinating already. I can't wait to meet you in our, in our little practice groups that we'll be having. So as Marcia uh, outlined for us, we are creating a spiritual community, temporary. And as she said, this is a very rare event. If we consider all the causes and conditions that allowed us to be here together, the support that we have from family, friends, our favorable conditions that have given us the resources to do this, it's very rare. So... uh, One of the ways that we like to open a retreat is to explore together the refuges and the precepts. 
Now, who has no idea what the refuges and precepts are? I know there's new people here. Okay. So, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And another way of of saying that is taking refuge in the awakened heart-mind, taking refuge in the path to awakening, and taking refuge in the community of those on the path to awakening. The word refuge, you know, we could think of lots of different meanings for it. Shelter from danger, something or someone turned to for assistance or security, protection, shield, immunity, haven, port, harbor, sanctuary, retreat, refuge. Refuge in the Buddha. Refuge in the awakened heart-mind. Refuge in the one who knows. On one level, we can take refuge in the historical Buddha. A person, flesh and blood, just like you, who lived, who suffered, who found ways out of that suffering, shared that wisdom, uh, had a bad back, aches and pains, uh, flesh and blood. When maybe, maybe at least in the top five teachers of all time on this planet for, for the effect that these teachings have had. And on another level, we can reflect on our own Buddha nature. You know, sadly, in the West, so many people have a uh, suffer under the mind the mind state of unworthiness. And at those times when you may be feeling anxious fearful, unworthy, reflecting on your own goodness, your own Buddha nature, can kind of bring you around, bring some balance. You know, when, you, when, when we can touch into that aspect of ourselves. And even when everything is falling apart, we can take refuge in our potential to awaken. So just reflect for a minute. Just take a couple of breaths, a couple of deep breaths. And see if it's possible to touch in in just this moment to that reservoir of friendliness that is there always. Not always available, but is there. That reservoir of friendliness that wishes the best for yourself 
the best for our planet, for others. It's available to us in those moments when we're not afraid, when we're relaxed. We're not worrying. So over time, through our practice, we get these glimpses of that awakened heart-mind. Glimpses of what is true in us. And you get more sensitized to your own Buddha nature. And this whole experience of taking refuges gets even more powerful. And secondly, you take refuge in the Dharma, the path to awakening. On one level, it's the teachings of the Buddha. He taught for 45 years. There's a vast body of wisdom and instruction, a guide for freedom. At another level, as Marcia was saying, we take refuge in a, in a related way, we take refuge in the nature of nature. That's really what this is about. Can we understand nature and not resist it? Participate in the flow of nature without resistance and anguish through the internalization and understanding of the impermanent, selfless nature of this creation. Can we learn and understand suffering and its causes and the release from suffering? The nature of nature. And third, we take refuge in the Sangha, the community of those on the path. In a way, it's taking refuge in spiritual maturity. All those who have cultivated a deep level of inner realization. All those who have realized the, the truth through these teachings. In a sense, you're putting yourself under the blessing of all those who have come before and who are practicing now. You're part of a 2,500-year lineage. I, I especially like the metaphor of a coral reef. I like to dive. I, I love coral reefs. When you think about the, the development of a coral reef, it is what we see now is based on the exoskeletons of millions and millions of tiny organisms who have lived, flourished, given their lives, so to speak. And what we see is this very outer level of life, bright, vibrant, magnificent. So in a way, here we are. We are the living top part of the reef now. We've got our moment in the sun bright, we're alive, 
everything's possible and available. And it's based on these teachings that have come through all these years, many sacrifices. So it's now up to you. So in a, in a way, when you take refuge, you're offering a commitment to abandon your egocentric vision. You know, it means you're committed to understanding your internal processes, your egocentric vision, those energies of greed, of aversion, of delusion. And you're making the commitment to come into a more skillful working relationship with those energies. And the challenge is to leave behind those habitual tendencies. To move out of your comfort zone. So this creates some uncertainty. The unknown. And that can generate um, some fear, some doubt. And you're called on to exercise your courage in this practice. And taking refuge also kind of underscores the, the belief that this world isn't going to come apart. And your world won't come apart if you give up some or all of your attachments. Now, asking for refuge can be misunderstood in, in the mundane way. In the mundane way, we're, we're desiring favorable conditions. That's not so much what it's about. On a deeper, more fundamental level, we're asking protection from the ego not protection for the ego. It's asking for protection for your Dharma practice, which really has nothing to do with how smooth things are going. Protecting your ego and protecting your Dharma practice are often polar opposites. So wanting to protect practice and protect all the ego-centeredness doesn't quite work in a spiritual exploration. If the ego is overprotected, there's very little practice. So this dharma, it's a kind of symbiotic relationship. There's, we're giving and receiving asking for protection for practice and offering the gift of this practice for all beings everywhere. So let's chant these refuges together. Those of you that know them, feel free to exercise your voices.
Tassam Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhammam Saranam Gachami Sangham Saranam Gachami Dityampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Dutiyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami Dutiyampi Sangham Saranam Gachami Tatiyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatiyampi Dhammam Saranam Gachami Tatiyampi Sangham Saranam Gachami Thank you. And in a way, the precepts, they're rooted in the refuges. I mean, out of this sacred space of a deepening practice, there our, our activities, our considerations are evoked in a very natural way. And so these precepts, when we think about them, they really have to do with living a civilized life. Can you imagine if this planet was civilized, you know, our species was civilized? Now you can understand the precepts, the precepts for those of you who are, are new to them, have to do with your relationship to killing, have to do with your relationship with property and taking what is not given, have to do with your relationship with sexuality, has to do with your relationship to speech, has to do with your relationship essentially to what you consume. And you can, we can understand these precepts in, uh, from three perspectives. First, you can understand them as training precepts. From that perspective, the precepts uh, tend to be training in the ethics of restraint. Marcia mentioned renunciation. Resisting, uh, practicing in resisting certain thoughts, speech, and actions. Second way we can look at these precepts is that they're the ethics of compassion. Because the thread that runs through them all is the thread of non-harming. And the flip side of that is the proactive aspect of compassion. Recognizing, opening to, turning toward, and feeling suffering, our own and the suffering in the world, and then acting 
the activity of compassion, the ethics of compassion. That's a different rationale than just doing something for ourselves. It's about living, you know, creating harmony in, in, with others. The creation of a just, fair society. So that's the ethics of compassion. Another way to look at these, uh, these precepts. And the third way we can, we can look at these precepts as inherent ethics. What's intrinsic. It's kind of a, um, the natural expression of a spiritually mature person. The awakened heart-mind. And in a spiritually mature person, these precepts are joyfully explored and adhered to, contemplated. So, if we see these precepts only as training precepts, it can be a little bit narrow. But understanding them as principles of compassion that are embedded in your being, if we understand them that way, it brings a balance to any rigidness that you might feel, or, you know, oh, these are rules, or this is another form of commandments. That's not what it is. If you can understand the precepts as expression of an inherently pure heart, then it does become joyful, not a should or a rule in any way. I, I like to look at precepts as signposts, in a way, and kind of guide me back to my Buddha nature. You know, when you notice you're a little lost or you're getting off track, maybe in a, in a minor example might be you're in the health food store and there's the bin of the cocoa-covered almonds there and they cost $17 a pound and you just like a little taste, you know. You reflect for a moment on that precept. Do I really want to break that precept and take what is not offered? You know, how do I want to contemplate that? And then a a little more severe contemplation might have to be, do I want to tell something that's not true so that I can gain something? You might just pause, remembering the precept around right speech. You know, you can see how your, your state of mind affects your ethical behavior. I mean, think of a time when you were, um, everything was going wrong. Maybe you're on, on your way to an appointment, you're in traffic, somebody cuts you off, you know, you're in the car alone, you might, you know, start to boil over, you say some things, you might even give a hand gesture, you know, in some form. Um, the state of mind affects our ethical behavior. Just think about the world, the newspaper, you know. What states of mind, you know, create certain thoughts, words, and activities that do so much harm? And then you could imagine a time when you were content, 
You know, maybe you were coming off a meditation retreat or you're in the woods with a dear friend or at the beach and you're really content and you're there just kind of absorbing nature and your heart is open. Is it possible for you to lie to somebody out of that state? It's a lot more difficult. So when you're deeply at peace, harming is hard to do. In your practice, if you really give yourself to it and you, and you get that traction, it can transform your life. And it transforms the lives of everybody you come in contact with. You're a person who can be trusted not to harm. They can feel safe. Every, every couple of years in our sangha in Charlottesville, we, we, we have a kind of precepts contemplation where we take um, six weeks and we investigate one after the other and we have discussion groups and, uh, and we've worked up our current version of the precepts and they've come from different areas and out of a lot of discussion. So tonight, we're going to do this a little different than just than, than reciting them. I want to share with you in the form of a reflection. So I want you to just close your eyes and I'm going to read to you the precepts that we've developed in our Sangha down in Virginia and allow the words to wash over you, affect you as they will. Um, the study and practice and contemplation of the precepts is very, very deep. Any of these issues around life, you know, what is our relationship to abortion? What is our relationship to um, assisted suicide? What is our relationship to capital punishment? What is our relationship to a protective act? You know, it's just deeper and deeper. So let me read these to you and just let them wash over and consider them. You know, in the spirit of forming a a community here, a temporary community of non-harming as we launch this five days in support of one another on every level. So the first one. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I vow to cultivate compassion and to learn the ways of protecting the lives of people, animals, and plants. Second precept. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation social injustice, stealing, and oppression. I vow to cultivate loving-kindness and to learn ways to work for the well-being of people, animals, and plants. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others.
Third, aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I vow to cultivate my responsibility for my own sexual energies and actions and to learn ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to the suffering of others, I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening. And the last of these five precepts, aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consumption, I vow to cultivate good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family, and my society by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. So there's a lot to consider, and in our community here this week. You know, we will honor the, these precepts and restraining from speaking, restraining from sex, from intoxicants, from killing, taking that which hasn't been offered. But I wanted you to get a feeling of the depth of the contemplation of the precepts. So thank you. We like to close the evening together with just uh, oh, about seven minutes of sitting together. <laughs> so sit yourself in a comfortable position on the floor in a chair, with or without a backrest. Allowing the eyes to softly close, not squeezed tight, just gently closed. And we'll take just a moment to give attention to the body, the body as a whole, letting it relax and settle. And taking your seat, as they say in the 
world of Zen practice. Gently, with care, with intention, and in a relaxed way, taking your seat. And in a very soft way, bringing the attention to the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath. There'll be much more specific instructions as we go through the days together. But this evening, bringing the attention to the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath somewhere in the area of the nostrils, the upper lip, but doing it gently. And if there's not much sensation, that's fine. Just notice it as it is. If you find yourself tensing up, over-efforting, take a deep breath, and relax again and gently bring the attention back again if you don't feel much sensation but you just know in and out that's just fine As you'll hear from Pat and myself many times, relaxation is the key. So 
know, allowing yourself to relax. And at the same time, being alert and attentive. In closing our first evening together with uh, two brief poems. The first by David White called Tillico Lake. In this high place, it's as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step toward the cold surface, say the old prayer of love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold snow, there in the cold light, reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face. And from the writer Anais Nin. And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom.
Thank you. And may you have a good sleep tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.